0: Let us pray together. Gracious God, here we gather to hear these two readings, one from 2,000 years ago, another one describing events from almost 4,000 years ago. And yet, as your Holy Spirit is with us, You bring to us new life and love and light. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide our way this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So today we meet up with Moses as he is watching a herd of sheep, a flock of sheep, out in the Sinai Desert, and uh, I'd like for us to remember briefly who he is and how exactly he got out there into the desert. You'll remember that last month we explored the story of Jacob's mysterious wrestling match with an opponent that leaves him limping, but yet more whole. And in the years that follow that story, Jacob's many sons become jealous of their favored younger brother. You know, the guy with the amazing technicolor dream coat. And they grab him one day and sell him off into slavery in Egypt. Well, once he gets there, Joseph's leadership skills are soon recognized by the pharaoh. And he's given great power to build up the empire's grain reserves. And when a famine breaks out back in his homeland, in Joseph's homeland in Canaan, his brothers and his father Jacob all come to join him In Egypt. But then in the following centuries, new pharaohs rise to power who never knew Joseph. And the more that these foreign Israelites multiply and flourish in the land of Goshen, a part of Egypt, the more anxious the native Egyptians become. In fact, it doesn't stretch the imagination that at that time, just as we saw three weeks ago in Charlottesville, that young men carrying torches march through the streets shouting, you will not replace us. And even Jews will not replace us. Well, eventually, the Egyptian empire carries out a systematic program of ethnic genocide where all the male Israelite babies are gathered and thrown to drown in the Nile River. And the book of Exodus opens with this amazing story about one brave Jewish mother and two brave Jewish midwives who defiantly resist the empire. This mother, in particular, hides her son. She doesn't throw him into the Nile, but she hides him in the reeds beside the Nile. And it's there that he is found and adopted by an Egyptian princess. This child, of course, is Moses. Moshe in Hebrew. And he is raised by his new princess mother in great privilege. And apparently, he takes into his own soul the empire's brutal violence. Because later, when he witnesses an Egyptian master beating an Israelite slave, what does he do? He kills him. That's his first response. That's his first response. The Pharaoh, of course, then finds out. And the Pharaoh then wants to kill Moses. This is the way that evil spreads, dear friends. Overcoming one evil with another evil only spreads and disperses and fans it all the more. And Moses now flees into the Sinai Desert where we meet him today. So, Moses is watching... His dad-in-law's flocks today. When he comes upon a bush that is ablaze, but not consumed. And our story, and I invite you to open your Bible if you have it with you. This is Exodus 3. Our story now makes a very big point of mentioning twice what happens now next. See verses 3 and 4. Apparently, we're not supposed to miss this. Moses now turns aside to see. He doesn't hurry on like we often do to the next thing, but he stops and he notices and he sees and don't miss in verse 4 that it's only after God sees that, God, that Moses has turned aside. I don't know if I said that right. Let me say that again. It's only after God sees that Moses has turned aside that God actually speaks to him now out of the bush. If you don't believe me, read that verse yourself. Fascinating. God's waiting For Moses and us to pay attention. Friends, how many burning bushes do you and I miss in our lives? When we frantically plow on from one thing to the next. Ever do that plowing? It's the occupational hazard of pastors. And we fail to notice. We fail to do this simple turning aside to God. By giving time each day to stop and to listen and to notice, how might we also hear from God, just like Moses, when we need to hear from God the most? And if you think this is just an exception, notice that this same theme is completely present in our other two readings as well. In our call to worship from Psalm 105, seek the Lord in the Lord's strength. Seek God's presence continually. Turn aside to God. And in our Romans reading, persevere, persevere in prayer. Again, Turn aside to God. So friends, how is this crucial turning aside to God happening in your life? It can be 10 or 20 minutes of prayer at the beginning of each day. As we do together in the gallery every Wednesday morning. For my sister... I love this. It's a mid-morning. She just told me this on the phone the other day. It's a mid-morning and mid-afternoon alarm set on her phone. A holy pause in her busy day at the office. For others, it can be a prayerful walk during lunch or after work. And I've shared that. A good friend in Chicago who... His prayer time was on his bike, on the prairie path. No matter when these times happen, dear friends, these interludes allow God to make daily recalibrations in us that make for a world of difference over the long trajectory of our lives. Daily recalibrations by God. Now in Moses' story, we also learn that this turning aside is not just escapism from the world. Not merely a relaxation technique, a stress reducer, a way of coping with the ever-increasing and ever-encroaching demands of life in the American empire. After Moses turns aside... God reveals to him God's core, God's beautiful character. Verse 7, this God is the one who hears the cry of the suffering in the world. That's God's core character. And the revelation of God's character is inextricably connected with God's call to Moses now to turn back toward the world. He has turned toward God, and God turns him back toward the world to join what God intends to do in the world. And what is this? Well, to confront old man Pharaoh, to liberate the Israelites from their misery, And to create a new contrast community to the violent, greedy, and racist empire of Egypt. In other words, to be a people that is just and generous and sustainable and attractive. How am I... Ever going to do that? Moses blusters. And God says to Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. You see, those who turn aside to God are then led by God to turn back toward the world with divine purpose Divine creativity and divine presence, God with us. God doesn't ask us to do anything without equipping us with the means to do it. Furthermore, Our Lord Jesus later tells us that it's precisely when we turn toward the hungry, the thirsty, the undocumented, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned that he will be most intimately with us. Just as God promised to Moses. It's in hearing and responding to the cry of the vulnerable, that we will experience most fully in this world the presence of God. Most fully, the presence of God. And become the beautiful contrast community to the often violent and greedy and racist world around us. Last month, I visited the Holocaust Museum with an old buddy of mine from seminary days. He was down there for a Bible Storytelling Conference, and he asked if we could go to the Holocaust Museum together. Believe me, if you've been there, it was an intense morning of remembering how racist slogans were once chanted, torches burned, and murderous violence spread. I drove back up here to Lancaster, and then only three days later, I saw many of these same images and things happen in Charlottesville. It was eerie to have those things so close by. And since then, our nation's president, instead of summoning our better angels has been strumming the chords of racist grievance and resentment. In fact, according to one podcast that I was listening to by, it's an interview with an ex-white supremacist, an ex-white supremacist. He said in this interview that our president's vague and equivocal response to Charlottesville was the most significant thing that has ever happened in this white supremacy movement. The most significant thing. Why? Because it allows racist hatred to go mainstream. And then his pardon of Sheriff Arpaio, champion of racist profiling in Arizona, was just more Of the same. And it's becoming clear that make America great again. Is actually just code for make America white again. Or maybe let our American empire of white folks. Assert its supremacy around the world again. And friends, it's in times like this, like our God, that we need to be listening first to the cry of those who are suffering the most. We do this not to be politically correct. We do this because our God does this. And we listen first to those who are closest to the pain. We see how anti-immigrant hatred is deeply impacting a beloved family in our congregation here right now. I've been hearing our African American neighbors near, living near our church on Marion, on Orange, telling us, telling me how deeply anxious and afraid they are when they go out onto to the streets of Lancaster. Do you feel that way? Our youth are hearing build the wall taunts in their schools. And members of my own sister's extended family, all African American, are terrified by the thought of their black sons ever getting pulled over by the police. What are you, what are you hearing from those closest to the pain? Friends, when hate is loud, love cannot be silent. When hate is loud, love cannot be silent. And in Paul's letter, let's remember who this guy's writing to. He's writing to God's contrast community embedded right smack dab in the heart of the Roman Empire. Rome. And to them, he encourages them not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome and resist evil with good. And let us take to heart, especially verse 12, his call for us to persevere in prayer for the courage, for the wisdom, for the creativity that we all now urgently need together to name and to overcome this racist tide rising all around us and even within us sometimes. May God help us to stand with the vulnerable, not only with our words, and here I am preaching, not only with our words, but with our bodies as well. Just as Jesus did on Calvary, Standing with the vulnerable, and just as those 200 clergy did in Charlottesville three weeks ago. And, friends, here at this table today, our Lord's table, let us now turn aside to our Lord Jesus. To remember and to recommit ourselves to his way of resisting and overcoming evil with good. Not the way of the sword, not the way of all those clubs we saw being wielded in Charlottesville, but the way of the cross. And our Lord wishes not only to remind us, but to empower us. And as we come forward to receive his grace and love and forgiveness, as we return back to the world that God loves. And he wants us never to forget his everlasting promise. I will be with you. Amen.